All right, hello and welcome to another edition of the Trivelo Coaching Podcast, Trivelo Coaching, where we specialize in helping triathletes and cyclists uh, improve themselves in their chosen sport and uh, make sure they enjoy themselves as well. Uh, as usual, I am joined by the founder of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Dad, welcome. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, great to talk about a topic that I am really keen on. Now, this is the first podcast where we're actually talking exclusively triathlons. We help triathlons and cyclists um, and runners as well, um, but... We haven't done a podcast just on triathlons yet, but triathlon, there's a lot to talk about and we thought we'd speak about it today because our athletes are probably looking at the next three to six months on their calendar and starting to figure out what races they're doing, how to plan their training and how to plan kind of the next phase of their goals. So a lot to talk about today. Yeah, that's true, Jordan. There's uh, so many facets to triathlon. It can be a sprint event, it can be a middle distance uh, endurance event, or it can be an epic endurance event. So in the sport of triathlon, there's so many variations. And I suppose you could say that about marathon running as compared to 100-meter sprinting in, in running or in cycling, criterium racing to Tour de France. Um, but the specific uh, discipline of triathlon really varies. Um, and of course, you don't have the amount of events available that you do as a runner or as a cyclist. So triathlons, you have to, of course, you have to plan in every sport your next six months to 12 months but triathlon if you've got one a race for the year it is really important that you get that right otherwise you'll end up a very disappointed year um, and a very disappointed athlete so what do you mean by a race because that probably applies to mostly an iron man over yeah so so if we decided to be an olympic distance uh, athlete which is a 1500 meter 40 kilometer bike 10 kilometer run or even a sprint where it could be 500 meters 20 five kilometer run compared to an Ironman which is nearly 4k 180k marathon so you can do a lot of sprint and Olympic distances each month Um, it's not really possible to do a lot of Ironman over a period of a year two at either end is probably the maximum you could do there are people doing more of course there's people doing 50 uh, in a row which is uh, quite ridiculous but Mm. um, in my opinion but but certainly um, the A race scenario for Ironman is completely different to the A race scenario for a sprint or an Olympic you get lots of opportunities to practice uh, your events in Olympic and sprint triathlon but in Ironman you don't Mm. Um, you use the other disciplines to practice for the Ironman um, but that's why the A race scenario is so much more important in triathlon than it is in cycling or athletics where you have a fun run or a race almost weekly. Um, and if you muck up, uh, you've got always next week. Yeah. So in Ironman, if you muck up, it's another year or six months between events. So you still can have an A race if you're doing a sprint or Olympic. It's just the um, build-up ones might not matter as much the same as you can have yeah. a lot of um, B races in cycling that build up to an A race, which is... Yeah, the same concept applies for sure as in other disciplines. Um, you use them... Uh, in a way that where you're not tapering as much and you're not as fresh for the race and you don't have the expectation of a PB. You're just trying to practice the pre-race scenario the day before. You might have a few easier sessions leading up to a B race or a C race, but certainly the feeling when you arrive to an A race would be completely different when you're tapered. Um, But the, the value of practicing the anxiety and the nervousness before any event is so worthwhile uh, doing for B and C races, no matter what sport you're doing. So let's talk about, because most of our athletes are building up to a half Ironman. Some have a longer term goal of full Ironman um, in the future, but uh, most are are really preparing for a good half at some point in the next uh, few months. So 
how do we start looking at that? How do we start preparing for that end goal? Um, and then how many races do we want to start looking at in between? Yeah, um, working backwards from your A race is is the best way to start. How many weeks do I have available? And if the race is 16 weeks away or 20 weeks away or 26 weeks away, obviously the more time you give yourself, the better the outcome's going to be. You're going to be more prepared. Um, a shorter turnaround uh, doesn't give yourself much of an opportunity to actually execute the best race of your life what's um, an ideal time um for a half iron man i'm a real believer it's got to be over 16 weeks um 25 weeks is ideal uh, if you're already pretty fit if you already had a big winter of training yeah uh the fitter the athlete the more experienced the athlete really good question um the less time you need um the big you know if we're talking beginners the longer you need um you know 25 weeks is perfect for a first up half iron man if they haven't done anything beforehand and they're doing a half Ironman first, I would not even be recommending that. Mm. I'd always recommend doing a sprint, then an Olympic, then a half Ironman. And if you get the bug, the Olymp- uh, the Ironman is next um, on your uh, your calendar. So, so yeah, it, it varies from athlete to athlete and from experienced athletes to novices. So it is a very – you can't just say this is what you should be doing across the board – it does vary depending on your level of experience. Let's look at the um, actual Australian season coming up. What have we got coming up over the next few months over summer, um, towards the end of summer? Yeah, look, the calendar is, is certainly diminishing a little bit. Um, we, we've got uh, Western Sydney um, coming up. We've got Noosa this week coming up. Um, so before Christmas, um, we used to have uh, Shepparton. Um, uh, Yarrawonga was on last week. Um, there's some other races in the Sunshine Coast and uh, in Queensland that are able to function throughout the winter. But for the southern states of Australia, with the water temperature being so bad, it, it's it's quite impossible to to do a full triathlon um, with you know 12 degrees uh, temperatures in the water. Um, you know some of the athletes are. Uh, competed last week in Tasmania in, in an event. So there's lots there's lots happening, lots mm-hmm. of smaller uh, races happening. Um, Pre-Christmas, we have um, we have uh, Bustleton Half Ironman and Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, Western Sydney, um, Noosa. Um, we've had Sunshine Coast already. Uh, and uh, Lake Taupo in New Zealand is also a 70.3 before Christmas. So mm-hmm. we've got a few opportunities for people in uh, the Southern Hemisphere to compete. Yeah. Um, Post Christmas is what's um, yeah. Well, there's 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 uh, some races that have disappeared yeah. again. Um, Geelong seventy point three is probably the first if we're talking half Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, uh, Port Mac half Ironman and uh, Western Australia have a half Ironman the same day as uh, Port Mac, which mm-hmm. is a little bit of mm-hmm. um, uh, not a good idea. I don't think yep. you should be spreading them out, considering we don't have a lot of races. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Cairns, uh, 70.3. Um, but there are some Asian races that are very close to Australia that you yeah. could uh, do, Philippines, Malaysia, yeah. China, Japan. Um, and New Zealand has uh, an, another uh, race in March as well. Um, yeah. So there's, there is a few races that you could work towards. Um, and that would be uh, the next question, obviously, would yeah. be uh, what race should you pick mm-hmm. and... Um, we've discussed that a lot in, in cycling, you know, are you a hill climber or are you a criterium rider? Well, in triathlon, are you, are you an endurance athlete or are you a a short sprint, uh, triathlon, uh, athlete? And it's okay to do an endurance event if you're not suited to it, just understand that you won't get the best outcome. 
So you should probably um, make sure that you're looking at events that suit you better. Um, if you're a you know short, fast, uh, fast twitch fiber type of athlete, the sprints and the Olympic distance should be your go. There's more variety uh, and more opportunities for those races. So do you think someone should pick a race based on just the distance or the type of course as well? Or do you think if you are going to do an endurance, a half Ironman or Ironman, don't worry about the course, um, you should just train to adapt to the course? Um, that's, there's positives and negatives for both. Um, if the outcome is to do well, then you should definitely target an event that's going to suit your capabilities. And if you're a light guy... An undulating course is going to help you on the bike. Um, If you don't do well in the heat, a cooler climate race is going to make you perform better. Um, You know, you wouldn't be rushing off to Kona to do uh, 70.3 there, which um, is in the hottest, you know, parts in the world to race an event in. That's why they went there, Mm. to make it as uncomfortable as possible. You would go to New Zealand where the temperature would be, you know, much more favourable if heat is a problem to your participation. Do you really think someone should um, stick to sprints or Olympic um, based on the fact that they're better at it? Like, what if they have a goal of... Um, yeah, no, definitely really not. No. Yeah. If people have a goal for endurance, oh, you know, it's always intriguing to me to see people line up for, you know, their 10th Ironman, their 20th Ironman. That, that's an incredible feat. Um, and look, my opinion on that is if you're just existing in the event... Um, you know, doing one or two of those is okay. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, doing 10 of those where you're pretty much walking the whole marathon, um, I think it's a great achievement that you can keep doing it all the time, but you might be better off, you know, uh, actually participating as a competitor rather than just participating to finish yeah. um, in some shorter events. So that's what you mean by existing is, you know, being able to complete it at yes. a run. Yeah, to- yeah. And it's always better, you know. To, to do the event as it's meant to be done, which is, you know, to swim properly, to ride properly and to run properly. It's not a swim, ride, walk. Um, you know, we all end up walking at some stage mm. in our lives, but we're trying not to. Mm. Um, I know there are people whose sole intention is just to complete it and they'll walk the whole thing. And that's that's absolutely fine. But I wouldn't see any value in doing that eight, ten times. Mm. Um, that's, but again, that's just yeah. my version of, yeah. of what triathlon was... Uh, yeah the initial idea of what triathlon was to really extend the body um, as a runner. Because as you know, it started off as a swimmer, a rider and a runner saying that they were fitter than each other. Mm. So we're not talking about a walker. Mm. Mm. And yeah, like you said, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do it to complete it once. Everyone has different goals. But I guess if your goal is to improve as an athlete and enjoy the sport more, you're most likely going to enjoy it more if you can complete it well yeah yeah for sure um and you know that's pretty controversial really what i'm saying um and and i i don't shy away from that that's just um my competitiveness i I, you know if if i had to complete an event because i was injured or or had heat stroke or and i had to walk the whole thing then i would do it um if it meant completing Mm. um but if i knew that was going to happen another time i I would think twice about uh, entering um, and finishing if I was in that situation to repeat the same thing twice. Definitely. I think we will talk about that later in terms of listening to your body and um, in terms mm. of preparing for the season when you should commit to a race or because mm. managing your body throughout the season is pretty tough. Um, yeah, for sure. Yep. Preparing for races, doing all of the B races, when to commit and when to pull out. Um, but just thinking about, you know, for our athletes who are competing in these um, halves or any distance coming up over the next three months, 
what do you start talking to them about in terms of the training load, how many races to do, um, the gap between the races and your B races and your A race? Yeah, uh, and that's certainly really important to make sure that you do have a good enough recovery time if you're trying to slot some events in. And we will probably talk about this a bit more, but what other things uh, in terms of triathlon should you be doing if um, there aren't enough triathlon races available to you in between now and your main race? Well, of course, there's fun runs that you can do. There's you know half, half marathon races everywhere, 10K races everywhere, 5K races um, you know, park runs are on every Saturday. So you've got opportunities to test yourself um, in a com- competitive situation as an individual runner. Um, there's lots of uh, time trials and cycling criteriums and road races that you can put yourself in um, as well. There are open water swims everywhere. Um, so there were the, that would be th- things that I would be recommending the athletes to vividly pursue and make sure that they do do at least a half marathon, at least an open water swim, and some sort of time trial, um, whether it's uh, an organised time trial or one that they're doing against themselves, against mm. the clock, um, but as well as doing maybe an Olympic distance event in the lead up. Yeah, so is that just one or one sprint, uh, one Olympic? No, look, I would, I would really like to see um, if we were doing a half Ironman, you know, if, if the, it was available to do an Olympic uh in four weeks and then the following time, uh, four weeks to another Olympic and then if you could eight weeks out to do a half Ironman at the training session mm-hmm. um, before your main so that you've actually completed it yeah and what would you do that just at a cruisy pace or yeah as a training as a training session um, and and that's that's also a little bit controversial because it, it's not cheap to enter these events so you can do that yourself mm. in a training group um and that's kind of what I'm meaning. Um, so you still have to prepare properly. You want to execute swim, ride, and run according to your swim pace, you know, power on the bike, and run pace. But um, it does become very expensive if you're trying to use a main uh, 70.3 as a practice race. The good thing is you've got all these volunteers helping you throughout the day yeah. um, get around. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So what's an example of um, someone who we're we're trying to take through now for the next few months? Um, What's the example of the advice you're giving them in terms of yeah the planning and specifically what um, how are we, how are we approaching it? Well, the main thing is to establish when they first come to us what level they're at and what are their aspirations and goals. And uh, once we find out uh, what their aims are and objectives, then we can base the program around: um, Are they an elite competitor who's trying to get a podium? Are they a mid-range age grouper who's who's really just trying to improve on their previous or is it the first time they've ever done it and they want to complete it. So establishing that goal is quite key to mm-hmm. the to the program we give. Mm-hmm. Um, we also test them across swim, bike and run to make sure that we understand what pace they can swim at, ride at and run at during their training sessions. Um, we have an expectation that once we establish those paces that they will be able to implement them into their race strategy. And the pace that they train at in week one is certainly not going to be the, the pace they're going to race at in week 16. That will have improved over that period. So they have great uh, understanding of what they were at, what level they were at, and whether they improve 5% or 10% over that period. Mm-hmm. At least they've got an understanding of what their new numbers are to train and race at. So 
especially with the idea of testing constantly or racing constantly, how often should you um, do both? Because you need your numbers consist- consistently. So like you just said, yep. you're getting your numbers to train at. Um, what's the time frame on yeah, how often you should do them? And yeah, and another good example of uh, how important it is to understand uh, how well you're traveling in your program and also doing race or, or testing is to practice the actual race scenario. Um, my opinion is the more races you can do, the less testing you have to do. Mm. So if you're fronting up for a race every four weeks, you don't have to test privately. You can just use the test results from the race. Mm. Um, so we want to test roughly four to six weeks um, so that if we have gained a lot of improvement, we're not staying at the same paces and, and wattage and uh, swim pace that we were six or four weeks ago. Otherwise, we don't get the progressive overload that we're after. So it's really important that we either race or we we test every four to six weeks. Now, this concept of training to pace or to power would be very new or relatively new for a lot of athletes. They either might have heard that you should train to power but don't understand how it works um, or understand how it works and still choose not to use power or pace or just have been told to train to heart rate. So... Yep, and look, perceived exertion is the main thing that people have been using for decades. Um, Power is a relatively new thing, even though it's been around since the early 2000s, but not a lot of uh, the non-elite athletes have an understanding or know how to use power to their advantage. Um, You know, it is a piece of data that you can use to help you uh, and prevent you from um, having a disastrous day, um, going too hard too soon. Obviously, when you taper, you are fresh, you've got rid of all the fatigue, and you feel good at the beginning of the swim. You feel good at the beginning of the ride, and you feel even better at the beginning of the run because you've gone through a taper period compared to the fatigue you've been carrying throughout the the training program. So if you went by feel, I feel good at the moment, so I'm going to run to this pace or ride to this pace or swim to this pace. Without getting feedback about how fast or slow that is compared to what you're used to doing, you could sabotage your race there and then in the first five minutes of your, of your run off the bike in your first 10 minutes on the bike riding. So perceived exertion is great for the experienced person, but I can guarantee you there aren't too many experienced people who can actually understand that um, I, I am running too fast and I won't be able to sustain this by the time I get to the end or I'm riding way above my wattage. And that's what we're trying to do. At the, at the beginning of all the legs of the triathlon, not so much in the swim because you can't see what's happening, but definitely with the bike and run, we're using the data to prevent us from, you know, blowing our race, going out too hard. And uh, once people understand that's a real critical value of understanding your data, then you will end up getting a much better result than you would have ever had had you not got that information in front of you. And you've seen a lot of people train to perceive or race to perceive exertion and completely destroy their race. Yeah, the common statement I get when I discuss how the race panned out, I felt so good. And of course you felt good. We've just discussed that because you're fresh. Mm. So, you know, that is one of the worst things I hear, you know, week in, week out after a race. Yeah, but I felt so good. So I thought I'd be fine with that, that wattage. But... You know, one thing the wattage does do is it doesn't tell you false information. It, you know, whatever number you're riding at, that's your number. And you should be riding to the number you've tested to, not one that you hope that you can ride on the day. Um, that is a recipe for disaster. So, so you know, during a, an A race, we want to do a PB. 
So we want to be on the fine line between where our our trained number is, I'm talking about the bike, mm-hmm. and we want to be a little bit over that if we can, so that we can still run properly. Most people can ride way faster in a triathlon than they do in the race. The reason they don't is so that they can run properly. It is a triathlon, yeah. not a swim and a ride with a, a fading walk. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be patient in this event and make sure you stick by your numbers so that you can actually finish the event and run strongly. So I want to stay on the numbers because it is something that um, we absolutely do without a question um, at Trivolo is that you cannot um, be coached by us if you don't have a power meter on the bike um, and all of our running and riding is to a number, whether it's power number or pace. Um, but there are a lot of people that resist that and that... Um, don't believe in its value um, and still exactly like, like we just said, want to ride or run to perceived exertion. Um, how do you convince someone that it's the best thing to do to train to that? Because it can just feel too complicated, too hard and feel a bit robotic and you just want to, you don't want to worry about the numbers. For a start, most people contact us because they're not happy with their result. So, so they're already saying the way I've been racing and training, I want to do better. And, they may have been doing it for five years. They may have been doing it for five minutes. They may be a beginner. But if they've been doing it for a long time and they're asking for help, that's an easy thing to convince them of because if you keep doing it the same way and getting the same result, then that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. So You're not improving. You're not improving. So, so that's why they're reaching out. So normally they would embrace um, the, the specific tactics that we're going to give them um, because they... You know, they're going to commit to doing the program properly and therefore um, determine how well they go. If they, do the, if, they, if they do everything we ask and they don't improve, then they can say, fair enough. That made, made no difference to my result. But I guarantee that would be a really low percentage of people. Mm-hmm. And there may be extenuating circumstances such as the power meter may not have functioned properly on the day. Yeah. Um, the watch didn't work. Um, so they couldn't actually execute the pace they wanted to or they were sick beforehand, or they had periods of illness or injury. So there are things that can determine a different result. But but if you actually stuck by the power and the pace uh, in the bike and the run that you'd trained and raced to all season, I guarantee you'll get a similar result that you expect. Um, and, and it's not a guess. When you stand on the start line at the start of a race, I wonder how I'm going to go today. The people we coach know how they're going to go today because they've got a plan they know what their pace is on the bike they know what their pace is when they are running Um, and you know they're going to execute according to that of course things change during the day it might get really windy it might get really hot it might get wet you have to adapt your plan but as long as you've got a basic plan and not a hope i do well today um, then the outcome is you know got a higher percentage of succeeding than the other outcome yeah so something interesting you said before was um, the yes you can ride faster um, than what you do in this race you you know you can ride faster but you shouldn't because you're going to tie yourself out too much for the run so how because all your training is going to be on the bike you're going to do bike specific <coughs> sessions and get a number based on those sessions and you're going to do an FTP test or a, or a, some sort of race that gives you a bike number how do you differentiate between your bike number in training and what you should do on race that's really good point to make because um, once you understand the percentages that you can race to so we do an FTP test which you know for those who don't really understand what power is um, 
your best performance over an hour is the number that we get for 100%. So rather than doing an hour's test, we do a 20-minute test and take 95% of it. And that number is the number that you should be able to do for an hour. So an Olympic distance might be 40K, an elite rider would ride around one hour. Mm -hmm. So he would want to ride at 100% of his FTP. For an age group or an Olympic event, you would try to ride between 90 and 95% of your FTP. Mm -hmm. So knowing your FTP and knowing that in Olympic distance, 90 to 95% is your window. Yeah. The top age groupers can ride between 95 and 100. Yeah. And knowing that information instantly, yeah. you can work out what power to ride to and what your time's going to be, mm. pretty much. Mm. If you're riding a half Ironman, the elite guys can ride between 90 and 95% mm. of their FTP. The beginner age groupers are between 75 and 80% of their FTP. And the mid range athlete would be 80 to 85 and the top age grouper would be 85 to 90 so in knowing that data from all of my research that i've been doing for all these years since 1981 when i first started uh, without any of that information um, now i know that they're the percentages that people can do to their ftp on the bike Um, so that you know in an ironman the percentages drop back again the elite guys are around 78 to 82 percent of their ftp yeah. top age groupers are 75 to 78 yeah you know the beginners are 65 to 70 the mid groupers are 70 to 75 percent yeah. of their ftp yeah so that's an incredible amount of information yeah. that not the average person would know yeah and well yeah what about when you get off the bike and you go to run you obviously can't run at your best 10k pace because you're stuffed from two other legs that's yeah. right and that's that's a good point which we will t- touch on later is how much running off the bike are you doing yeah um but to answer that question if we did a 10k time trial and we ran let's just pick a number 40 minutes four minute k pace could you expect to do that in a triathlon olympic distance the closer you can get to that the more chance you have of winning the race yeah that is a fact yeah so if you're two minutes off that that's not bad if you're looking to be three to four or five minutes then you've got a bit of work to do on your running yeah because you aren't running as well as you can fresh. So we use those similar things that we do as an FTP percentage. The minutes over your fresh time um, is a reflection of how well you're coping as a runner. So a half Ironman, if you're doing uh, four minute K pace, that's whatever it is, uh, 124. Yep. Um, if you're able to run a 126, you're doing, well. you're doing a great job. If yep. you're running 136, you're a long way away from you know where you should be. Yeah. Um, it shows that you have poor endurance as a runner. Um, the further you're away from your fresh run, fresh uh, PB, yeah, yeah, the the more you have to actually do in your running. Yeah, so that's it's exactly what we want to talk about in this podcast. All these factors that you need to be considering when thinking about your racing season and thinking about your preparation for your A race because. When I hear you planning this with the athletes, there are so many things to consider that, like you said, most people wouldn't have thought of before or haven't ever been taught um, all, the, all the things we've spoken about already which is thinking about um, what's your best discipline and what what is going to be a race uh, thinking about all the b races you want to do in lead up thinking about the testing you need to do and starting figuring out at the start um, what your level is at the moment um, but a lot of the other things that we kind of need to start touching on is um, exactly what you just said how much running are you doing off the bike but even broader than that how much time are you should you be spending on each discipline Yep, and if you break the event into three, um, the percentage of time for swimming, riding, and running, that is a good place to start. So 
The swim might be, let's just take the half Ironman, 1900 meters. It can be for the elite guys, 22 minutes to 40 minutes for the worst. So as a percentage, that's you know, up to 40 minutes. So then we get onto the bike. The best riders can only ride around two hours and then it goes to three hours mm-hmm. to four hours. So, you know, 40 minutes on the swim, four hours on the bike. Then the run can range from, you know, a 110, yep. 70 minutes yep. to a two and a half. Mm-hmm. So straight away, you don't have to be Einstein to work out that the percentage of time spent in the swim is the least. Yep. So we want to be fit in the pool. We want to be absolutely confident that we can get the distance. But the gains in the bike and run, as compared to if we trained harder in the swim, we could improve maybe a minute in our swim, maybe two, possibly four if we are a real novice swimmer. If we spent that, if we added two or three sessions to our swim week, yeah. if we added two or three sessions to our run instead of the swim, we could possibly get 10, 15, 20 minutes back. If we did that on the bike, we could get maybe 30 minutes if we were really uh, at the beginner end. Yeah. So obviously, you spend more time where you can gain the most time. Is that a mistake you see often? People swimming too much? My swimming's really bad. I need to swim more. And I'm saying, well, that's great. You do need to get your swimming better, but not at the detriment of your ride and run because that's where the gains are. You want to focus on the areas where you can get the most significant gains. Because most people's weakness is swimming. Majority of people's. Yeah. And that's why it's such a great event. Because you have to be a real all-rounding sportsman. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of good bike riders, a lot of good runners who can't swim a stroke. But now the elite guys are, you know, they're just below the elite level (laughs) swimmers. Just below, (laughs) you know, some of them are are actually elite bike riders um, and unbelievably good runners. I mean, Kona was on a few weeks ago and... You know, a 242 marathon won it, which, mm. you know, of course the world record's under two hours yeah, now, but yeah. but that is, you know, a pretty damn good time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because you'd think that the logic would be, well, I should work on the discipline I'm weakest in, which if it was swimming, you'd spend the most time on that, which is not what you really should be doing. Yep, and look, that's just my philosophy, my theory, and I'm happy to be contradicted on that, um, but uh, in my experience... Uh, I came from a swimming background, but I was not an elite swimmer. Um, so I definitely was able to, to swim, you know, near the front. Um, but had you know, I was not a bike rider at all. But that became my strength, and uh, the swim became irrelevant as long as I came within a certain time of the pack in an endurance event. Um, the, the ride was so long that it just diminished the the differentiation between the leaders in the swim. And but even if it's a shorter event. You're not going to be able to... The logic's still the same. You're not going to be able to gain that much on the swim. Even if there's guys that are way quicker than you over a short distance, yes. they can't get that much time on you on the swim. Yeah. So to answer the first question, how much time should you spend swim, bike, and running? My theory, if you had enough time to do a decent program, and there are people who want to do triathlons who haven't got that much time, so we've got to give them a few less sessions. But two swims is, is ample, and people will be going, oh, shock horror. Mm. Um, but the, the aim is to be fit in the water. Um, if you improve your times, that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I look at it. So the ride. Four rides is going to get the result you want. If you do more, it's probably not going to have be more, much more benefit. The run is where you can actually make the most gains. And I'm a big advocate for five runs. 
and people will be going, that is ridiculous. Most programs have three, three, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, but most triathlons, the results are determined by how well you run off the bike. Not by how well you run, but how, how well you run off the bike. Mm. So two of the runs are very easy, but it's just practicing off the bike, as we'll talk about. Well, I know that's your pet hate, is people love to do... Um elite running sessions and they love to even and i know groups is a contentious topic as well we'll talk about that in a second but people love to do really good running sessions and that's all they do is really fast running sessions when they're fresh and they get to a triathlon they can never perform well and ask why yeah it's a great point and uh and they're astounded as oh you know i can run this pace you know day in day out in my training but did you ride before you were doing that session because the event is not a fresh run. The event is running after swimming and riding. Mm. So you need to practice running after riding a lot. In our program, we run once fresh. Mm. And the other four runs are all off the bike. And the feeling and the perception and the um, feedback that I get from people who've completed their their event in a really successful manner is... It felt so good running off the bike. That's mm. the best I've ever felt because I, my body was so adapted to that is the feeling I have from training. I'm replicating my training in the race. And if you don't, the feeling you get off the bike when you've not done any uh, runs off the bike is horrendous. Mm. And you feel like you've never run before. Mm. It's that different. Mm. And on that note, I mean, talking about group group sessions, I know that, yeah, I say it's contentious because you want to enjoy the sport and part of that is being able to train with people, um, but you have another slight pet hate in people taking in the easy route too often and doing too many squad swim sessions, too many squad yep. running sessions, which is impacting their performance on race day. Yeah, for sure. And look, socializing is a real integral part of, of triathlon. That's why we do it. Um, one of the reasons why we do it. Not that's why we do it. Um, and I don't want to take that away from people. Um, but if you took a squad group, um, I'm a bigger, I swam squad a lot. Um, when you go into a swimming pool and watch squads train, they maybe have 10 in a lane and the guy at the front is breaking the water and the guy, the next nine guys are getting a draft. So they're going to get times that are inflated. When they get out into the open water and got no one in front of them, their times are going to be slower. So they've got this inflated opinion of their swimming ability based on the pool. Um, so my recommendation is, sure, do the squad, but continually test yourself outdoor or in a pool by yourself over a period of four weeks to see if your times are improving. And if they're not, I would recommend doing some sessions by yourself mm. so that you're getting used to swimming with breaking the water yourself. Yeah. And that's reasonably controversial because everybody thinks you should be in a squad and if you're at the front of the squad you're getting the best session ever so i have concrete evidence of people i coach who don't join squads who improve their swim times every four weeks i have evidence of people who are training the house down in swim squads whose times when we test them stay the same or go backwards Mm. Mm. and similar with running right people can run it fresh with elite running groups um, yep. But again, it's just training them in that, that environment. It's not training them to run solo. Yeah. The advantages aren't as great uh, when you're running in a group situation. And I would, if you could run in a group once a week where you're being pushed 
to get the outcome that we're trying to achieve in our program, I think that would be a great thing. You get the socialising and you're getting pushed. But if you're not getting the outcome of the session that we're trying to uh, achieve, then you're better off staying away from the groups. And we have this with um, just our cyclists as well because you know, there's value in groups in being pushed and there's value in the social aspect in that you will enjoy it more. But um, we tell our cyclists you can't just ride the bunch all week. Yeah. Um, one group run, one group bunch ride is and even one squad swim that would be my recommendation across the board um, if you do three or four bunch rides you're repeating the same session if you do three or four runs with a squad it's impossible to ride beforehand because the squad might be six o'clock on a wednesday night and how are you going to do that from work so mm-hmm. the advantage of doing the run by yourself is you can train when you want on the bike get off and then run yeah yeah awesome so what else do we need to think about when we're you know, kind of planning planning all this out we've really ticked off a lot um so what sort of sessions are we looking at um in the pool on the bike and running that's the the specifics that that most people want to know yeah um and without giving away too much of uh, our program you need to have a variety you need to have you know let's just take for example the bike you know we've established that we've got a 100 percent ftp number we need to do some sessions that are well over the FTP number we need to do some sessions that are at FTP and we need to do some sessions that are at our race pace so that when we get to the race we've experienced lots of training over threshold and we've experienced the race pace that we're going to implement I'm a big believer in uh, replicating what's going to happen on race day in training Mm -hmm. not every session that's Mm -hmm. why I'm saying variety is what we're after Mm -hmm. Um, you need endurance as well on the bike so so we've got endurance, we've got over-threshold, we've got threshold, and we've got sub-threshold, which is race pace. And that's that um, that variety, but not going hard every single time, is probably key to the runs off the bike, right? Because you can't just be smashing yourself off the bike each time. Yep, so how does that work with the runs off the bike? Mm-hmm. We've, we've described four of our sessions on the bike in general terms, mm-hmm. not specifically telling people what to do mm-hmm. and how long for, and that's the next the next thing that people want to know is, mm-hmm. okay... I'm doing threshold ride. How long do I do it for? Mm-hmm. And probably that's where you need to, to contact your coach and, yeah. and uh, get the specifics of what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you do and when do you do the runs? So the theory I have, and it's worked quite well, is whenever you're doing a high-intensity bike session, you need to do an easier run session. So if we did, say, for example, two midweek high-intensity sessions on the bike, those two runs off the bike should be nice and comfortable, mm-hmm. nice and relaxed slower than your race pace Mm -hmm. so if you did one run during the seven days where you're running fresh and not off the bike that's the day where you want to run fast Mm -hmm. where you want to be in your group Mm -hmm. where you want to be pushed Mm -hmm. have some competition so that's three runs already two are very easy off the bike and they're very short they're not long at all we're talking 20 to 30 minutes Mm -hmm. at the most the fresh run can be up to an hour depending on what level you're at yeah and your event and your event the other two runs they're generally on the weekend because we have more time one of them is the endurance run and that is also off the bike but the off the bike endurance run the bike section is very short and it's at race pace it's at your sub threshold race pace the other day is a very short run where and it's similar to the to the runs off the bike where the intensity is high the endurance ride has a very short run off the bike but that can be changed once every four weeks so that you get the experience of having an endurance ride with 
an endurance run. So you get the feeling of what it's going to be like on race day. So how do you make the five runs up? That's how you make the five runs up. Mm -hmm. Um, Two are quite short and most people go, well, that doesn't even count as a run. Believe me, running for 20 minutes at any time is a run. Mm. Um, And running off the bike, it's getting you used to the feeling. That's the main point. That's pretty comprehensive coverage of um, not the exact specifics, but the overall gist of how to best prepare yourself for all three disciplines. Yeah. And look, as I said, this is a a program for someone who's, you know, really committed to actually achieving their goal. It's not someone who says, oh, I wouldn't mind doing a half Ironman. Give us a look at a program, um, see if I can do that. If you can consistently do and execute that program week in, week out, from day one to the finishing day, you will be a completely different athlete. Um, and that's the beauty of seeing people who have done a lot of races and stayed the same to now having a proper program where they can see they've improved because we're testing or racing all the time. They can see their power numbers go up. They can see their average pace. We have countless examples of data of guys improving five minutes over their 10K mm. in 12 weeks, mm. 40 watts over eight weeks of massive improvements of, uh, of training on the bike. Um, you know, the gains in the pool aren't as significant as we talked about before, but we still had people swimming on their own, mm-hmm. swimming a 29, 1500, and then swimming a 25. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. One of the last main topics, just in terms of the overall mental and physical preparation of a racing program is the managing yourself, managing yourself physically and mentally. And that's probably, that's one of the biggest topics because it's probably the one that most people run into the biggest challenges with is injury, getting sick, managing your fatigue levels, not overtraining, yep. all these factors. Yeah. And the biggest thing I find from most triathletes is that they run too fast all the time and there's no need for it. The big problem with it is you risk injury so much more by doing so many hard sessions um, and you will actually create massive amounts of fatigue. So the the sections or the sessions that don't require you to hold your body up, swimming and riding. Running, you're actually doing an activity and holding yourself up against gravity. So the... the uh, Fatigue levels from doing that are massive. So the running has to be the one where uh, you have to really take notice of how you're feeling. And that's why we encourage people not to run fast, you know, four out of the five sessions. Mm. So uh, one session a week Mm. running hard is ample. It'll stop you from getting injured. It'll stop you from getting um, overtrained, fatigue levels through the roof, getting sick. So what are the factors you should be looking out for to manage Resting yourself? heart rate is, is, a, is a really good, um, and we measure it every week in our training program. Um, we ask each athlete to test themselves Monday morning what their resting heart rate is from the week. And if you can see a noticeable increase in your resting heart rate, that would be an alarm bell. Um, and if you wanted to do that every day, then you would have a much better understanding of how you're coping and sometimes the alarm bell can just be because of something that happened over the weekend. The resting heart rate might be higher just because they had a really stressful Sunday or yeah. something. So and you've got to be aware of all that. And yeah. as you know, the problem with using heart rate as a piece of data is it's affected by many things. Mm. Stress, heat, um, uh, your health. Mm. Um, sleep, anything. Sleep and, and food and yeah. in, you know nutrition. So 
So it is a, is a it is one good way to monitor. Yeah. But the way you're performing in your results, uh, in your sessions, the results you're getting in your training sessions is another indicator. If you can't hit the numbers, then that's a first sign for me. Hang on a minute. What's wrong? Why aren't you? Hit? You can hit these numbers. They're your numbers. So you've tested these numbers, so you should be able to train to them. And if you can't, that's an indicator to me that something's not right and we need to uh, reassess where we're up to. It's another big reason why having the numbers is so important because with perceived exertion, you probably wouldn't know that you're getting so tired until it was too late. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a good point. And with perceived exertion, you don't know how hard you're going anyway from the first effort to the last effort. You think you're going hard, but as soon as you, as soon as you measure that against a power meter, then you realise... I thought I was going hard, but my last three efforts were 15 watts lower than my first, which mm. it felt it was just as hard. Mm. Mm. It's like a, um, I just thought of this then, but it's like a track athlete, you know, doing 400 reps without a watch. Now, if you weren't timing each 400, you wouldn't know how you're going. You'd just be running the 400. and Well, that's how we were training yeah. on the bike for yeah. years. Yeah. And now we've got this data and, and I always wonder why people won't embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. such an advantage to have it, yeah. um, to not make as many mistakes. Um, but yeah so monitoring your health monitoring the process the the progress the process and your health are really you know so crucial to uh making the start line let's face it making the start line is is an achievement in itself without getting injured sick or or whatever yeah so as a coach you're constantly monitoring to try and get your athlete to the start line and best position possible and with a plan so yeah it's watching for injury it's I mean, yeah what, what's everything that you're doing yeah look look we always talk about planning preparing and performing that's our motto and you know from the start of this uh discussion we've been talking about you know what are your goals um what do you want to achieve at the end of uh the race um and we work backwards from that date and then we start the planning process and then it's up to you to start performing week in week out Mm. and of course consistency is one of the major things that we're trying to achieve here the more consistent you are the better the outcome is going to be there is no the correlation is massive consistency equals improved Mm. performance so we we go through the the planning and performing stage um the preparation sorry and then you know race day becomes perform and you have an expectation because you have a plan that you will perform according to your plan unless something disastrous happens, yeah. um, a bike mechanics or yeah. you injure yeah. yourself on the run. Or but the point is you're as prepared as you can be. That's right. And you have, a, you have an actual structured idea of what you're going to achieve on the day and have a really good idea within you know, 10 minutes of what time you're going to finish in. Yeah. So, um, nah, good. So for anyone listening, if, you, if you're rocking up to races and you're not totally confident in your plan and you're not totally confident in your preparation and you actually don't know how you're going to perform then everything we've spoken about for the last 45 minutes to an hour is what you need to start considering to probably get your training program and racing program. Imagine the anxiety between you and I. If you're prepared, have a plan, have trained properly, have everything in place, and I'm just winging it, I'm standing on that beach ready for my swim. Oh, God, I hope this goes well. And you're standing there going, bring it on. I'm ready for this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. The difference between the mindset of the mm. two people, the anxiety I would feel mm. about, I am really petrified of what's going to happen. The unknown, humans fear the unknown the most. Mm. Um, when you have a really good understanding of the outcome, 
your confidence level goes through the roof and you act like you're confident because you are. You know what you're about to do. Execution becomes so much more easy. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, we might leave it there. I mean, there is a lot to talk about with triathlons. There is a lot of more topics we can delve right into uh, more detail. I mean, we can do a whole um, podcast on on power in triathlons, you know, on race day preparation, all these topics. And we will do that uh, in the future. Um, but that's enough for today. We just wanted to talk about for any athletes who have uh, got some races coming up over the next few months, how to p- plan, prepare, and perform. Is there anything else you want to talk about or say? No, look, and triathlon's been my uh, my my main love of uh, as an athlete and you know I'm really enthusiastic about seeing people um, take the start line in a triathlon it, it is a very uh, difficult uh, thing to do and not to be taken lightly and so the people who put a number on I'm you know I'm pretty impressed and um, it's great to see the numbers growing um, in the sport uh, and it's got a long way to go there are a majority of the people who have no information about how how to get from training to the race day and hopefully we can help people assist in understanding to give them some idea about not making some you know fatal mistakes in terms of uh, getting to race day the best shape they can possibly be perfect well that's it for us today look out for more future podcasts on both triathlons and cycling Uh, if you want to contact us you can go to trivelocoaching.com.au otherwise you can go to our facebook page or instagram trivelocoaching and message us on there If you have any questions or want um, us to discuss anything specific or want some help uh, planning, preparing and performing. That's it today. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.